Amen. If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We'll be reading verses 13 through 15 this morning. So we turn our attention to the third song in the first two chapters of Luke. And uh, the name, fittingly, is the Gloria in excelsis Deo. And so those words we've just sung. As you're opening there to Luke chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, let me mention um, one quick prayer request. You might have noticed that uh, wonderfully today, Wayne Cornut has led us in worship. Uh, that's because our Minister of Music, Nathan Edwards, is feeling a little under the weather this weekend, not doing so well. And so he is at home. He plans to be here tonight. Uh, to lead tonight. So just pray that he can have some energy and be feeling well enough to be here tonight. Um, maybe technically if all we had today was this, he might could have been here this morning, but um, wisely, I think, uh, took the morning to rest and, and by God's grace will be here tonight. So pray for him along those lines and uh, pray that he'll get better and uh, we don't want to miss him here and he sure doesn't want to miss being here tonight. So we look, look forward um, to our choir musical tonight. Next Sunday is Christmas Eve, um, which is kind of a crazy feeling, maybe, for some of us. We will have two services next week, our normal 1030 worship service, and then uh, next Sunday night, five o'clock, is our candlelight Christmas Eve, and I would encourage you to make plans to be here for both of those services. Well, if you have your Bibles open there to Luke chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, why don't you go and stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. Luke writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us. Beginning of verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Let's pray together. Lord our God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his gospel. And we thank you for this opportunity we have to gather together among your people today. Oh God, we thank you for the message of Christmas, and we pray that our hearts would be tuned to worship you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I look forward to it all year long, every time um, Christmas rolls around. I'm so excited because every year my family watches uh, the Charlie Brown Christmas special. If you guys have ever seen this or not, I'm a Peanuts fan and a Charlie Brown fan. And so when we watch the Charlie Brown Christmas special, I look forward to the same moment every time. And I bet you probably uh, share it with me. I know some of you probably look for the moment that Lucy's going to pull the football up, um, just knowing you. But um, for me, my favorite moment is when everyone's trying to figure out what the meaning, the true meaning of Christmas is. I keep talking about this. And finally, Linus says to Charlie Brown, I can tell you what the true meaning of Christmas is. Charlie Brown, and Linus, who, if you don't know Peanuts very well, Linus is the one that always has the blanket. He's always sucking his thumb. Linus steps up on the stage, and he begins to read from this section 
of Luke chapter 2. And maybe there's no more beautiful moment in this little cartoon than when Linus, who, like I said, is never without the comfort of his security blanket, maybe there's no more beautiful moment than when he drops his blanket as he reads from this, these passages of Scripture. Now, I think all of us here probably know what Christmas is all about. It's about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But I think it's good that we take a moment to consider what the glory of God is all about. Linus reads this passage to remind his friends about the Christmas message, but here in this passage we see uh, a word, glory to God in the highest. Earlier, just a few verses up, we see a word that says the glory of the Lord um, shone around them, or as Linus reads from the King James, shone around about them. Here, here we see this passage talking about the glory of God. I think it's important for us today to take a moment to consider what God's glory is all about. What, what is God's glory really all about? I want to show you this morning three points about God's glory from this passage of Scripture. Three points about the glory of God from this passage of the Bible. Here's the first point today. First of all, God's glory is seen in His majesty. God's glory is seen in His majesty. Uh, even though I didn't read it earlier, I, I, along the way I want to read some of the contextual verses here just to give us a fully orbed picture of what's going on. The first thing we see here is a picture of the shepherds out in the field doing their jobs. Verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now notice what verse 9 says. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. They were sore afraid, the King James says. Now consider this for just a moment. They're out. Simple shepherds at night doing what they are called to do, doing their job, keeping the flocks. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Now, um, if you've not read much of the Bible, let me tell you something about angels. Uh, some of you may know this already, but maybe some of you don't. Um, sometimes when we think about angels, what do we think about? Little chubby babies with wings, right? I know, culturally, we see that, these little cherubs flying around, sweet, with their gold, the Gerber baby with wings. But that's not exactly the biblical picture of angels. In fact, you read through the Scripture and see the overwhelming testimony of Scripture. Most of the time, when someone sees an angel, do you know what they do? They fall down on their face like they're dead. Most of the time. In other words, there are different types of angels the Scripture describes, but by and large, angels are the hosts of heaven. They're the armies of heaven. They are great and glorious and impressive creatures of God. And so just to see an angel would have been a remarkably impressive sight. But I want you to know something beyond just an appearance of an angel occurred. In fact, on top of this, there is a, a, a picture here in the Bible of the fact that the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now, in the Old Testament, God's people, when his presence would come upon them, his glory would shine around them. It's what 
we call the Shekinah glory of the Lord, the visible glory of the Lord. This is a manifestation of the very presence of God. Now imagine what your first thought would be. I'll know what my first thought would be if I'm just doing my job one day and an angel shows up to me and the visible presence of the Lord shows up to me. My guess is my first thought would be, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? And perhaps that's what these brothers experienced because the Bible says they were filled with great fear. They were filled with great fear. They were afraid. That is, this initial encounter with the glory of God, this first response to the presence of the glory of God, the glory of this angelic being, and then the presence, the visible presence and glory of the Lord shining around them. The Bible says they were filled with great fear. And I will say, I think this is an appropriate first response to the glory of God. An appropriate first response to the glory of God. Sometimes we um, hear the Bible talking about fearing the Lord. But we read verses that say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And we begin to wonder what in the world that could mean. We're not supposed to be afraid of God. We say to ourselves, we're supposed to be able to approach the Lord. And certainly that's true. Because of what God has done for us through Jesus, we can approach the throne of God boldly. But let me tell you something, my friends. If you had a one-on-one encounter with the glory of God apart from His grace, apart from His mercy, apart from the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, you would have something to be afraid of. God is majestic. He's holy. And an appropriate first response to God's, the majesty of God's glory is reverence and awe. And and here we have these gentlemen not only experiencing reverence and awe, but experiencing fear. I I, I don't want us to forget something. I'm a big fan of grace. I love to preach grace. I love to preach the gospel. Don't worry, we're going to get there today, okay? Um, We're going to get there. But I don't want you to forget for just a moment that God is majestic in His glory. God is majestic in His glory. Glory. Theologians speak about God in two ways, in certain in terms of God's presence and God, in terms of God's way of relating to us. The first is God's eminence. That is God's nearness to us. He is our very present help in times of trouble. David, the psalm in a psalm says, "Where will I go apart from your presence?" We, we believe as the apostle Paul said that in Him we live and move and have our being. God is very near, right? And God has condescended to us. We can have a relationship with Him. We believe in God's eminence. But theologians also speak of, and I think the Bible also describes God as transcendent. God is other than us, right? God is above us. God is ineffable to us in so many ways, apart from His own revealing of himself. We cannot forget that God is glorious in his majesty. He is great and he is powerful. And we cannot forget the great and awful power of God. God is capable of speaking the world in existence into existence. In fact, that's what he did. God would be capable not only actively but just inactively. If God just chose to remove his hand 
from the world that he had made. Everything would spin into chaos. We would self-destruct instantaneously. But the Bible says that Jesus Christ upholds the world by the word of his power. That is, not only did God speak the world into existence, but that very word by which he spoke the world into existence is so powerful that it upholds the world until even now. And God could cease to do so if he wanted to. And yet God doesn't. He is powerful. God is holy. He is other than us in his holiness. God is set apart in his holiness. God is transcendent. And here these shepherds see something that many of us miss. Um, There's no snideness, quite like atheistic snideness. One atheist said, I have a hard time believing something that was relayed to us by toothless shepherds in the ancient Near East. My friends, this group of, and I'm not sure about their dental hygiene, But this group of shepherds understood something that many of us could use a good dose of. Some may be snide about it. Some may be condescending to them. But it's a reality. God is glorious. And God's glory is seen in His majesty. And these brothers' gut instinct, their knee-jerk reaction to the glory of God is appropriate. Their hearts, though they were fearful, it's clear they worshipped the Lord. Not only do we see God's glory in His majesty, but second of all, God's glory is seen in His gospel purpose. God's glory is seen in His gospel purpose. Now, look with me in verse 10 for just a moment. And the angel said to them, Fear not. What a beautiful verse. Um, Once I read that this is the most repeated command in the Bible. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Probably tells us something about how we're wired. What do you think? I don't know about you. I get fearful when I feel like I'm not in control. Which is always. I'm always not in control. Fear not. Why shouldn't we be afraid, the shepherds might say? For behold, look at this, he says. I want you to notice this, the angel says. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now imagine you're one of these shepherds. Your country is subjugated by the most powerful empire in the known world, and arguably the most powerful empire up to that point that's ever existed, ruled over by Roman pagans. And yet God has promised that you would be His people in His place under His rule. And so when you are being ruled by a Caesar who claims to be God and not ruled over by a son of David, a descendant of David, then you are separated from the promises of God. Exactly what God has said makes you special. You've been raised. I mean, you took in the promises of God with your mother's milk. 
You have been raised on the promise of a Messiah who will sit on the throne of David. Now, what sort of news, what sort of good news do you expect to hear? The Bible uh, teaches very plainly, and they would have been raised hearing that the seed of Abraham would one day bless all the nations. And so when an angel comes and says... I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Your promise alarms start going off. God is fulfilling His promises. And for just a moment, I want you to imagine how you would understand those to be fulfilled. You would understand that God is invading the world. That God is sending His Son, His Messiah. You would understand And when I say his son, I don't mean that you would have understood if you were one of those shepherds that Jesus would be divine, but that God was sending a chosen one, a Messiah, very practical terms, a Messiah into the world to overthrow Rome and to establish his kingdom. But what does the angel say? What does the angel say? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Who is Christ? The Lord. God lets these shepherds in on a secret. A secret, the Bible says, into which angels long to look for a very long time. That this Christ, this Messiah, this Savior would also be the Lord. That He is fully divine. Christ the Lord, verse 12, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. How does God reveal His glory? How does God keep His promise? The terrifying, glorious presence of God surrounds these shepherds and they are terrified. But when the angel begins to speak on behalf of God, he speaks good news. And the good news that he speaks is centered on a Savior, on a Messiah, on the Lord who is being born in the city of David. And what you might expect is that he is coming to rule and to reign immediately. You might expect that he has an army around him already, but the sign that he gives these shepherds is a helpless baby lying in a manger. The sign of the glory of God is something that in and of itself is very unglorious. A baby of little means. A baby. I don't know how much time you've spent around babies. We've had a few born in our church lately, so some of you are spending more time than others with babies. And you find out pretty quickly when you have a baby that babies can't do anything but holler and mess themselves up. That's all they can do. Babies can't do anything. You have to do everything for a baby. God is subverting expectations and he is subverting the power structure of the world by centering his glorious gospel purpose on a baby lying in a manger. Consider how unexpected, how humble, how lowly this is. And yet it's precisely in the undermining, 
right? It's precisely in the subversion. It's precisely in the upending of expectations where God's glory resides. Think about how glorious this is. A few weeks ago, a friend of mine pointed out this line to me in a great carol called Once in Royal David City. It's one of those deep cut Christmas carols that we don't always uh, sing a lot. Here's what it says. Once in Royal David City. Listen to this line. He came down to earth from heaven, who is God and Lord of all. And his shelter was a stable, and his cradle was a stall. With the poor and meek and lowly, lived on earth our Savior, holy. You see what God's doing? Do you see how God's revealing his glory here? When we think about the glory of God, we think typically all majesty. We think all greatness. We think all, well, glory. And yet here the angel is telling these shepherds, it's time for you to begin the process of redefining what you understand God's glory to be. God's glory isn't all exodus. God's glory isn't all delivering his people in power and might with an outstretched arm from pagan rulers. God's glory, it's there, but God's glory isn't all David's golden age in defeating the enemies of Israel around them. No, God's glory is also with the poor and the meek and lowly where, where on earth will live a Savior holy. This is God's gospel purpose. God is subverting the power structures of the world. God is subverting what seems glorious with something very unglorious in order to bring about his own gospel purpose. My friends, do you see the way that God's glory is revealed in his own gospel purpose? Finally, third of all, God's glory is seen in his grace. God's glory is seen in His grace. Not only is God's glory uh, seen in His majesty, not only is it seen in His gospel purpose, but finally, it is seen. God's glory is seen in His grace. Now, we're just about on glory overload here, right? The glory of the Lord has shone around these shepherds. An angel has come. Goodness gracious, I'm at a a whopping zero angel count in my life. I've never seen one. So if I ever go from zero to one, I'm going to consider that a day of glory in my life, right? It'd be an amazing thing to consider having seen an angel. So an angel has already shown us an amazing thing to consider. Very few people ever have the privilege of seeing uh, one of God's holy ones in this way. And yet, this glorious saint, this angel's already talked about good news. It's revealed something about the gospel that's amazing. This glorious scene becomes more glorious. Notice what the Bible says in verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. Suddenly. Now, so you hear this news, you're trying to process all these things, you're trying to get your head around what you've just heard, and then suddenly, a multitude of angels. You're still, uh, perhaps, I would still be trying to figure out, I'm pretty sure an angel is 
telling me good news right now, and then suddenly a multitude of the heavenly host is revealed. Now, listen, I want you to know something about the Bible. The Bible doesn't throw around words like multitude lightly, especially when it comes to angels. Often when you hear angels talked about, you hear them talked about in terms of myriads and myriads. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands. The, the Bible seems to indicate that in terms of uh, us and our ability to ascertain how many angels there are, the angels are essentially innumerable. So for the Bible to say that there is a multitude of the heavenly host appearing here, it's hard for us to even wrap our mind around. Needless to say, the night sky at this point is exploding with glory. And I want you to get your head around this. A multitude of the heavenly host have just appeared in the night sky. And I want you to understand what this means. This means an invasion is happening. God created His good world and He gave it to His people. And yet, through sin, this world has been wrecked. This world has been dominated. We, we recognize as Christians as we read this, it's not just that Rome had conquered Israel. It's not just that sin had spread and invaded through the world. It is that the devil himself, the Bible says, is the prince of the power of the air. All of the world that Adam and his seed were meant to reign and rule over had been forfeited over to the snake. And we are now at a place where God's people who He made and called very good through their rebellion, through their submission to the will of the snake, now live in enemy-occupied territory. And as you look up and you hear, a king is coming, a Messiah is coming, the Lord has come, you look out and you see the great invading army that comes with Him. He did not come along. And there, the glory of God has exploded. Heaven is invading a hostile world. Before my wife and I moved here to Gadsden to serve First Baptist Church, I was the pastor at Sunnyside Baptist Church in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, in Bullock County, Kentucky. And the first night we moved into the parsonage at Sunnyside Baptist Church was one of the most horrifying nights of my life. I was sore afraid. We had no cell phone service, no internet, nothing yet. No home phone, no contact with the outside world. And as we were laying in our beds that night, we began to hear helicopters. Um, we began to hear um, machine guns firing. Guns firing, explosions, bombs, literally bombs going off. And it's omnidirectional. It's over the top of our house. It's all around us. Everywhere, everywhere around us, we hear war breaking out. An invasion's happening. And I'm just hoping and praying. It's the good guys that are near us, not the bad guys. Horrified. Well, I sure wasn't going to go outside and see what's going on. So we just went to bed and woke up the next morning, went to church. And he said, guys... I'm not sure what's happened here, but I'm pretty sure the world ended last night. My sweet congregation there at Sunnyside Baptist Church started laughing at us, and they can barely talk, and they're laughing so hard. And they said, well, guys, basically they communicated to us, y'all moved into the parsonage in the midst of a perfect storm. 
Because what you might not know is that our church exists right over the edge of the northern border of Fort Knox. And this weekend was the annual war games at Fort Knox, training experience. But that wasn't it. Well, I said, that explains one direction. But guys, this was happening everywhere. Machine guns and explosions and stuff. I mean, well, he said, well, it wasn't just that. If you go several miles in the other direction on Knob Creek Road, you come up to Knob Creek Gun Range. Some of y'all might have seen a show several years ago called Gun Tucky. It was set at the Knob Creek Gun Range. They said every year at the Knob Creek Gun Range annually, they have the machine gun shoot. And it, if you're wondering what that is, it's exactly what it sounds like. You go to the Knob Creek Gun Range, you pay your money, and you shoot a machine gun. You know what I mean? It's like Christmas at Jamie Meredith's house. And so they go out there with their machine guns. They have propane tanks, Tannerite, all sorts of things you can shoot with a machine gun. So all around us, all these things are going on. We assume the world is being invaded, that war is breaking out around us. And if you were to look up at the night sky and see the army of God gathered for an invasion, you might be scared too. Probably feel a lot worse than I felt laying in my bed in that parsonage that night. This great host, this invading army, They're attending the king who is coming to take the throne. And what are they doing? Sharpening their swords, priming their bows, counting their arrows. No, they're singing. And what are they singing? Glory to God in the highest. No kidding, glory to God in the highest. Look at what He's capable of. Look at what He's doing. Look at the majesty. Look at the grandeur. Look at the greatness. Look at what God's fingers have fashioned. This great army that's innumerable is gathered here. Glory to God in the highs. Remember, God is glorious. And on earth. They're not just singing about heaven. They're singing about where we live. And on earth, this great army in vast array. And on earth, peace among those with whom He is pleased. Oh, my friends, this song of glory This tribute to the King. This grand martial array. This invasion, it turns out, is a parade. It's a choir. And this choir of unspeakable beauty and glory sings of the glory of God, Gloria Gloria in excelsis Deo. But it also sings a word to us. A word to miserable sinners here on earth. A, a, a word this army sings to warring factions here on earth. To out 
outright rebels who have sedition against God in their hearts, they sing. To the poor, to the broken, to the oppressed, they sing. To you, they sing, my friends. To me, they sing. To the whole world caught up in sin and darkness, they sing out, the King is bringing peace. Peace on earth, not only to those who are here and hearing this, but peace to those with whom God is pleased. With whom God is pleased? To you? To me? To the world they sing? The King is bringing peace? To you? To me? To rebels? They sing? The King loves you. He's pleased with you. This army is not for you. This son is for you. God loves you. He cares about you. God is showing you His grace. These angels sing a song of glory. They reflect this glory in their very beings. They see, it. you see, the shepherds see in the heavens a sign of the majesty of God. And all of this glory is pointing like a giant flashing arrow. And it's pointing down to a baby in a manger. In order that all of us would know that God's glory is seen most visibly, most clearly, most brightly, most majestically, most wonderfully in His unmerited, unearned, unending, unfathomable grace. This is the word God has for His lost and dying creation. My friends, the beauty of Christmas... The beauty of Advent is that you can know this God. This God wants to know you. Peace, my friends, among those with whom He is pleased. God loves you and He wants you to know Him through His Son. In all of His glory, in all of His majesty, in all of His otherness, in all of His transcendence, God wants to know you. And you can know Him because of what He is doing through the Gospel. You can know Him because of His glorious grace, because that baby in the manger was born to die, and He lived the perfect life we couldn't live, and He died the death that we deserve in order that we might know God through His Gospel. Today, brothers and sisters, today, you can know Him through His Son, through faith. How will you respond? I invite you today, if you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus, I invite you today to know Him for the first time. I, I believe if you turn from your sins in repentance and turn to God in faith through Jesus, I believe you will be saved. If you need someone to talk to, I'll be waiting right down front for you. So we sing this carol in just a moment. I invite you to come. Second of all, you may be a believer and you just need to do some business with the Lord. This altar is open to you. You can do it where you are. If you need someone to talk to, I'll be waiting on you as well. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. I'd love to talk to you today about what it means to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, as we sing the song in just a moment, I want to invite you to come 
if you have business to do with the Lord. If you're wondering or worrying about, well, am I supposed to do this or am I supposed to do that? If God is leading you to come forward, you come forward. And we'll talk when you get here. I look forward to seeing you in just a moment. Let's pray together.